Thanks, Dale. Good morning. I want to add my thanks for uh, the continuous support that you guys give at this church. Really deeply appreciate uh, everything that you're able to do to support Chapel Hill Church and the ministry that God is carrying out here. And uh, we just appreciate your prayers as we head into this next uh, couple of months here towards the end of the fiscal year as we plan for next year and all that. Um, and I just want to say thank you to our elders for their uh, dedication to this church and this ministry and, and all that happens and how they are, are faithfully praying for this church and asking God to show us again and again and again what he has next for us. And we're in that process now as we begin to look forward to our next fiscal year and all that's going to happen there. Um, I also would like to say thank you to all those of you who were here yesterday for Church Work Day. Thank you very much for all of the work that you got done here. Deeply appreciate that. Deeply appreciate that. Um, we filled a massive dumpster that's going to be hauled away. Uh, with stuff that we don't need, stuff that's just been rotting here and filling up space. And, man, we just we did a lot of work yesterday. So thank you very, very much for everything that we got done here. Um, it, was a, it was a good day, and we had a, a lot of help. That was so appreciated. All right, uh, let's get back on track with what we're doing. We're studying the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, we've been looking recently at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And in verse 17, and, and uh, right now you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to have the, all the verses that we work with up on the screen today. And I'll be working off my monitor here. Um, we've been working through uh, all of these, these instructions that Peter's given around this one simple phrase, honor everyone. And so in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, um, he uses this phrase, and um, there's a phrase in verse 17 that almost seems a little bit out of place, and I want to draw attention to it today. And so I want to look at verse 17 um, as we, we go through the morning this morning, and this is what it says, 1 Peter two seventeen. there's that phrase, honor everyone. He starts with that, honor everyone, and then he begins to break it down, and the next thing that he says is, love the brother. Then he says, fear God, honor the emperor, love the brotherhood is the one that I want to work on today. And when we talk about, he's talking about all these other things. We've talked about the other things in this verse, but I want to get to that. We've talked about this principle of honor everyone and we've defined honor. Honor as it's used in the Bible means to fix value to someone. You're to fix value to someone. You're to see in them the value that God sees in them. No matter who they are, no matter how different they are from you, no No matter how their values might be different, no matter how they make choices, how their behavior is demonstrated, no matter what, we are to fix value to them. And so we've talked about this a little bit in the political context that we're in right now and all that kind of stuff. We are called, brothers and sisters, to fix value to everybody around us. And that includes, as Peter points out, the emperor, the leader, the one who is over all. We're to fix value to them. We're to fix value to everyone, to honor everyone. We're to begin there. This is very literal. Honor everyone, period. I love that Peter just broke this up. No commas in here. There's periods. He's making a statement here. Honor everyone. Everyone. It applies to everyone, and it's very broad, but it is very difficult. But it does mean everyone. And then we talked about fearing God last week. We talked about that simple statement. Fear God, 
period. And we talked about this idea that, that, um, that we are, our fear of God ought to produce things in us. And ask that question of, do we really fear God? Are the effects of fear being shown in the way that we respond to God? When we're confronted with God and who he is and his power, his greatness, the scope of who God is, do we react initially in fear? Are we made to feel weak when we stand before God and how amazing he is? Uh, Do we have this feeling of insecurity when we realize how exposed we are to a God who created everything and is all-powerful? Do we get this feeling when we're faced with God and who he is that we really ought to run? Because before him, that's how we compare to him. We ought to run in the presence of his greatness and his holiness. And we talked about that idea that when, we, when something creates fear in us or someone creates fear in us, we don't have control over that. We don't have control over our response to that person. We don't have control over our response to God. It's this incredible response of fear that wells up in us. But in the midst of that fear, God's character comes out. First, we're confronted with who he is and how great he is. And then when we're feeling weak, God says to us, let me be your strength. And his character comes through in that. But he needs us to recognize our weakness before him if we're going to take on and depend on his strength. And then we feel, when we feel very insecure, God says, I will, I will create security. I will take you in my arms. I will take you in my hands and I will hold you and I will never let go of you. That's the security that he offers when we feel that insecurity before him. And when we have that feeling that we just need to run when we're faced with his greatness and our own sin and our own humanity, he says, come, don't run, come, come to me. Come to me. And when we feel we can't control that response to God, he says, that's good because I want to control your response. Surrender yourself to me and I will take control of that. And so this principle of fearing God puts us right where we need to be, right where we need to be so that God can use that fear of him by offering us his strength, by offering us his security, by inviting us to come, by calling us to surrender control to him. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. It seems like Peter's got everyone covered. We owe everyone something, according to what Peter is saying here. Um, But I want to look at at what Paul has to say again, because I always love to look and compare the two. These are two phenomenal church leaders in the first century. They were the recognized leaders of the church. And so we've got to pay attention to what they're saying. And there are other authors as well in the Bible. But uh, Paul, Peter's the one we're looking at right now. Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. And so we need to look at what he's saying along these lines as well. Um, this, is, this is encouraging to me to look at this, to look at the unity that's there. It's one voice. It's the voice of God's spirit speaking through Peter, but also speaking through Paul. And so I want to look at Romans chapter 13, verse 7, because there's something very, uh, very similar about what Paul is saying here. So this is what he he writes uh, in Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Paul writes, pay to all what is owed to them. 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. We're to be givers, right? We're to give these things where they're due. And what does Peter say that we're to give to the brotherhood? He says that we're to give love. He says we're to love the brotherhood. That's what we owe the brotherhood is love. So what's the brotherhood? Because I want to make sure we understand this clearly. Because when Peter writes, love the brotherhood, he's not talking about a men's club. That's not what's going on here. He's not just saying, love the, love the elder board. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying specifically, this is it. Here's this group of men that I'm referring to that I call the brotherhood. It's not a men's club. And actually, it's kind of funny because the word that's used, that's translated brotherhood, is actually a feminine noun. And so there's even some of that in there. This is not what Peter's doing. He's not isolating men in this. He's not making it a male thing. The term brotherhood is an abstract term for Christians, for God's family. That's who Peter's referring to here when he says love the brotherhood. He's talking about men and women. But I want you to think this. I want you to get this image in your mind. Think band of brothers. And again, I'm not talking about just men here. That's not what I'm saying. But think military context. Band of brothers. And I'll explain why here. A band of brothers... In the military, as we refer to them, a band of brothers has a unified purpose. They're all about the same thing. They've got each other's back. They're looking out for each other constantly. They see a lot of value in each other. They fix a lot of value to each other to the point where they would lay their lives down for each other. They recognize that they are on the same team. They live by that. That's a band of brothers. In looking up the Greek definition of this word brotherhood, uh, there were some really interesting things come out of it. One that really stood out to me was this phrase, the connection of allied nations. The connection of allied nations, there's this, there's this sense of, of people coming together. And if you go back and put it in Peter's context where he's writing this letter, the church that he's writing it to, the church that is scattered all over the place, you see this play out. The connection of allied nations. At this time, those two allied nations were Jews and Gentiles. They came together in God's family. Now, for the first time in history... With the coming of Christ, Gentiles were welcomed into God's family. It wasn't just about the Jewish nation. And so when he uses brotherhood, there's this sense of talking about that coming together of Jews and Gentiles, that unifying that happened with them. He talked about men and women. There was a very, there's some relevance to this term that he's using and using a term like brotherhood had meaning in the midst of the, the persecution that was going on in the church. They were being executed for being followers of Jesus Christ. There was this coming together that was happening and Peter was affirming that. Come together, be unified and love this group, this family that's come together. Now what then is this love that Peter's talking about? 
Well, this is something that we've talked about in the past, but you can never talk about this enough. This is agape love. This is the love that Peter is talking about here. It's the word that he uses, the word that is translated into love. It's agape love. And I want to refresh your memory on some of the aspects of the definition of agape. Uh, It means to welcome to welcome others. It means to entertain. I want you to think about that, not in the context of this Western setting that we're talking about. You don't have to dance for the brotherhood. You don't have to put on a skit for them. That's not what this is talking about. But entertain them. Be fond of them. Love them dearly. This is agape love. To have a preference for God's people. To wish well of God's people. To regard the welfare of God's people. The brotherhood. And it begins with honor. It begins with fixing value to God's people. Has God fixed value to everybody in this room? He most certainly has. God sees value in every single one of us in here. And he's inviting us into beginning there, doing the same, honoring every single person here, fixing value to them the way that he does, and then to do what he did. Because God fixed value to us at the beginning, because he has this limitless value that he sees in us, his response to our condition, his response to our weakness, to our insecurity, his response to our fear, his response to our sinful condition was love. He saw the value in us and he responded with love. God loves his family and we're to love his family like he does. We owe everyone something. We owe the brotherhood love. A few minutes ago we looked at Romans thirteen seven. Um, Paul wrote that we're to give taxes and revenue and respect and honor where it's owed. And I love what he writes next. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything. Which kind of throws us off a little bit when I'm saying, I'm saying you, know, you owe everyone something. Paul then says, owe no one anything except to love each other. Words to the church. What we owe each other is love. I want to read you a description of this love from... Uh, The Vines Expository Dictionary of the Bible, right? Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men and especially toward them that are of the household of faith. Look around you in this room. This is the household of faith. This is the brotherhood. This is God's family, Chapel Hill. You and I are surrounded by the brotherhood. Is there welfare being sought by us? Am I seeking the welfare of the people here in this family, in God's family? Am I honestly doing that? Because that's agape love. Are we absolutely not wishing or working for each other's ill? Are you and I seeking to do good to the people around us? Are we seeking to do good 
to the people around us, not just doing it when the occasion comes up and we happen to stumble across that opportunity. Are we seeking, honestly seeking, to do good to this family, to the people in this church, to the brotherhood? Are we welcoming welcoming the people here into our lives? Are we intentional about encouraging, affirming, supporting, and blessing this family? Do we love each other dearly? This is the brotherhood that God has given us. I forget too often that the Bible contains volumes of instruction and exhortation for the church on how to love each other. Um, The Apostle Paul in particular was prolific in this. And I want to read a passage for you in, in the context in which it was actually written, not in the context in which we very often use this passage. So yes, I'm going to 1 Corinthians. And yes, we're going to read chapter 13. But I want to back up. I want to start in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. And, and you don't have to look it up if you don't want to. You can just listen. Because um, I just want to, I want to read. I want to read what sets up chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Because it's so important that we get this. It is so important that we understand the context in which this chapter, the love chapter, was written. We have to get this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 20, you'll know right away what Paul is writing about. He says, as it is, there are many parts yet one body. The church, if you haven't picked up on that. (laughs) The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable... We bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And now we get to chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love for the brotherhood is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love for the brotherhood bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love for the brotherhood never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now... Faith, hope, and love for the brotherhood abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul's helping us there to learn how to love the brotherhood. That's who he's talking to. The love that we have for the brotherhood is a reflection of the love that God has for us. And not only that, it's a reflection of the love that God has for his son, Jesus Christ. In describing the love that God has for his son, for his family, and for the world, the word agape is used. This is the love that Peter is calling us to when it comes to loving the brotherhood. The same love. Chapel Hill, this is not a theological position. This is not a word study. This is how we're to live for the sake of our Father who loves us. What could it look like for you and me to love the brotherhood truly? If we were to look closely at every family, every individual in this church, and try to compose a list of all of the needs that we have, it would be quite a list. There'd be all kinds of things on it. We need support from each other in times of crisis and hurt. We need that support. We need financial assistance from this church. That's what the Caring Fund is for. We need help learning how to manage our money and and face the pressure that's all around us to outspend what you're earning. We need help finding a job sometimes. We We need help finding guidance for raising our kids. We need child care sometimes. We need help, some of us, with home repair or home improvement projects. We might need help moving. We might need help with meals to to help us get through a time of transition. We have needs, church. We do. There are lots of them here, and that's perfectly normal. Tons of opportunities around us. But there is no deeper and more significant need than our need to be loved. We need to be loved. We've been called by God many times in many ways to remind each other of just how much God loves us. And he expresses that through us. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. We've talked about this in the past. As he is, as God is in this world, and John said that God is love, so are we. So are we, church. And so if I offer to help you financially, if I offer to help you with a project, if I offer to watch your kids, but I do not have love for you, I am nothing, according to what Paul writes. 
Because love is deeper than acts of service. Your love for me, church, reminds me very clearly of how much God loves me. His image shines in you when you let me know through your actions and your words and the visible things about you that communicate this honest love. You let me know that you love me and I'm reminded of how much God loves me. I've had a lot of, a lot of nice things done for me in my role as pastor here. And I knew it was going to be hard to talk about this, so bear with me. Um, and I, every single time I do this, every single time I sense myself getting emotional, I go back to college and the professor that I criticized for crying when he taught because he just kept losing it. And I was like, come on, Pat, get back on track. <laughs> and here I am again. I get a lot of gifts and encouraging notes, calls, all kinds of things that remind me of how much you love me. There's a group of men that comes here once a week. With the purpose of praying for me, supporting me, lifting me up. We have a prayer team that meets here on Wednesday nights that is faithful about taking my personal requests and lifting them up before God. This week, just the other day, I was having a heavy day dealing with a lot of really heavy stuff. And a brother showed up, walked into my office, and put lunch on my desk. Said, I want to pray for you just for a few seconds. Sat down, prayed for me because he knew what I was going through that day. Many of you have invested in, in my kids. And my wife. Recently I was given a safe place to be for a day. I was just invited to come and hang out. By people who don't treat me like a pastor. Who understand that I'm a man and I'm a husband and I'm a father first. Many of you have expressed in different ways that you trust me. Many of you have affirmed me, have expressed appreciation for what I do, have encouraged me. Not because of my office or my title, but because I am your brother.
Chapel Hill, love the brotherhood. It's not about what you do for me. It's not about what you give to me. And everything that I thought of as I was thinking of what this meant to me in my reality here, in every case, I know full well that those people that are doing that for me love me. And I need that love. And so do you. And so do the people around you. And this is something that we simply have to be good at. Because as God is in this world, so are we. We are love. And Peter says we're to love the brotherhood. That's what we owe each other. And Paul affirms that. Don't owe anybody anything except to love each other. Church, can we do that for each other? You want that, don't you? I think we all do. But we're going to have to keep coming back to this command to love the brotherhood over and over and over and over again. And to this understanding that we are a united family. We are God's family and God cares very deeply about how his family's getting along. And we need to understand that this is agape love we're talking about. This is, this is nothing surfacy. This is the real deal. We're to love each other. We're to love the brotherhood. That's what God's going to do. And his doing through us. All right, men. Men, I want to talk to you for a minute. A couple weeks ago, we had the steak sizzle. And I stood up here and fumbled my way through doing, talking and speaking at a men's event. And we came, we came to the point where we looked at what has now become the vision statement for our men's ministry here at Chapel Hill Church. And so if you didn't make it to the sizzle, not a problem. I want to share this with you. I want to share this vision statement with you. This comes from 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen to 14. Men's ministry vision statement. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. And men were committed to, to taking this to heart, to learning it, and making it a part of the way we see life. These are our marching orders. Are you taking this to heart? If you were there, we talked about praying for somebody every day for a month. The person who was sitting on your left, are you praying for that person? Are you praying the prayer that, that came out, the prayer that, that Ron gave to us? A prayer to ask God to make us who he, he created us to be, to make us men of courage. Men, stay on track with this. Don't get off track. Yeah, it was an event. Yeah, it happened two weeks ago. Don't let it go. Stay faithful to this. Men love the brotherhood. It's not an easy thing for men to do, I don't think. Love the brotherhood. Do everything in love. It's part of our vision for what we want to see happen here. Men love the brotherhood. Women love the brotherhood. Chapel Hill love the brotherhood.
love, agape love, your brothers and sisters, those who are sitting right here around you in this room, love God's family deeply and dearly. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward now, and I'd like you to pray with me while they come. Father, I want to first thank you for your love for us. I want to thank you for seeing value in us, in every single one of us. For creating us in your image and for being pleased with what you created. Not just in general, not just a a mankind kind of pleased, but with each and every one of us. You are pleased and you see the value in us. And I want to thank you, Father, for responding in love to that value. Thank you for the love that you pour out on us every single day. Through the simple things and through the really complex things. When things are going well and we can easily count our blessings. And when things are going tough and bad. We see, feel, know your love. We know your love. But God, you wanted us to go beyond just you showing us specifically from you this love. You've, you've given hands and feet to your love. You've put your love in flesh. You've, you've created these people all around us. You've called them into your family. And you've said, I want to love you through your brothers and sisters. So God, teach us, teach us to love each other in this church the way that you love us. Thank you that in the midst of the chaos of this world, you have brought together this family. You've brought unity here. You've brought a common purpose here. You've brought complementary gifts, skills, wiring together to create this particular body of believers. This is not an accident. This isn't coincidence. I know that. I know that you've called us here together for a reason. And I know that right at the core of that, Is your desire to express your love to us through each other. So God, teach us to do everything in love. Teach us to love the brotherhood. Teach us to seek the welfare of each other. Not just materially. But spirit to spirit. To remind each other. Of who you are. And who you've created us to be. Father we love you. Teach us to love like you love. We surrender ourselves to you again this Sunday morning. Asking for your will to be done in us. We surrender our control to you. You do what you want to do in us. You make us the people in the church that you created us to be. 
I ask for this. I plead for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.